I'm John Atak. This is my guest, uh, Richard Turner. Is that is right? Have I got your name right? Yes, it was a good right, start, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> and um, you belong to um, a dangerous authoritarian cult group. Um, you left that. Mm -hmm. You are now a, a counsellor helping uh, people who are uh, recovering from that sort of experience. And you took the um, master's degree in coercive control at Salford University mm -hmm. with Rod and Linda Deborah Marshall. And yeah. uh, so that, that gives some vague shape. You, you came to me because you were diagnosed on the autistic spectrum, mm -hmm. which uh, I should think was tremendously helpful in understanding what was happening in your world. Um, I'm fascinated by, you know, I, I have the kind of um, systematizing aspect of Asperger's. Um, mm -hmm. One of my brothers tells me that he color codes his <laughs> socks so they'll never get lonely. They'll always stay in pairs and be there's six pairs yeah. of black socks these ones are the red dot these ones are the yellow dot what have you um and that that was one of the things that made me first made me aware that that you know as well as reading simon baron cohen that that we all are somewhere or other on the spectrum um you came to me with the idea that um it, it may be that people on the spectrum are more vulnerable to recruitment so mm -hmm. Why don't you kick off with, with some of that? Tell me something about that. Uh, yeah, so um, <clears throat> um, with, with, with my, I mean, just, just to give a bit of a background as well, my, mm. my autism diagnosis came after being in the cult group and part, it was part of my asking questions about what happened to me, why am I the way I, they are, why am, why am I the way I am, mm -hmm. um, and reflecting on, it, well, I suppose the cult, the cult experience kind of maybe reassess everything in, in my whole life mm, so my does. autism diagnosis has been has been part of a healing process for me as well mm. um because i mean as you might be aware part of the control in a cult group is is that people think that they're the problem it's not the group of There's course guilt and shame and that, that that guilt and shame is part of the control mechanisms and mm. and actually getting the diagnosis helped me think oh there are things about me that's not my fault I was wired certain ways. I act certain ways. I've got vulnerabilities, and not and this isn't my fault. And it, it was it was very very healing. Um, but in terms of uh, of cult groups, um, to, to to begin with, uh, my my view of autism is that, um, and it's a, there's a phrase that floats around in the autistic community that I hear quite a bit is if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. <laughs> Everybody that, yeah. is so unique. Mm. Um, there, there are similarities in, in in traits and people have them in a little bit of a different way. Um, I don't have some traits as strong, as noticeable as other artistic people, but there are certain things about me which other artistic people might not have as much. Um, so very briefly, what so very briefly an overview of my autism is incredibly fixated, obsessive interests. Mm. Um, but, I, I have sensory processing problems, which means I have to wear tinted glasses if I'm in front of a computer. This computer now has, has got a dim screen because I'm, I'm so sensitive to light. I touch, touch tastes, things like that. Uh, very, very sensitive to those things. I struggle um, with social interaction with people. Mm. Now, what I find is small talk is very difficult. Like, I don't know what people are expecting of me when they're talking to me. I, I have learned over the years scripts uh, but someone says, how are you? I, I, I go, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, how are you? 
and it's a script out of my head. It's not a natural response often. Yeah. Um, so I find that anything social is quite challenging. I can't give very good eye contact, which you can't tell on here, because fortunately what online uh, interactions uh, mean is that it's much easier for me to engage actually than in real life. So you, mm. especially in a social way, you wouldn't get much eye contact from me if we were if we were face to face. Um, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's very, very brief. Uh, you know, with, with autism, you get to struggle with social things, sensory processing things, fixed routines. But um, with that as well, there's, there's a lot of anxiety. Things feel like out of control with, with me. If, if, if they seem like um, it's vague, I, I often don't understand like vagueness or if, if my routine isn't compartmentalized in boxes, I get, get very anxious. So, I mean, that's a very brief overview uh, of my autism because I could talk about that for two hours straight easily, but I didn't want to dominate the video with that. But in terms of the cult experience, you know, it's very common uh, for people, uh, especially with undiagnosed autism, mm. to grow to get bullied a lot in school, not fit in, feel like there's something wrong with them, really struggle with self-esteem and things like that. So to begin with, you know, as, as you, you, you're well aware, it's quite understandable that love bombing is very effective yeah. for somebody on the spectrum because having a lifetime of feel like you don't fit in and all of a sudden you feel like you do, it, it's massive. Mm. To the point where in the group I was in, when when I remember now distinctly just being in tears because of the love bombing because you're so great, you're doing so good, we're so great to have you on, it's grateful to have you on board, we can see great things for your future. And then coming from being in high school where I didn't even want to go into the to the um, to the canteen to eat because I didn't like being around people and I hid in the music practice room and then I started going home and I was I was frightened of going in every day and it's just really low self-esteem. And all of a sudden these people look like just full on telling you the great things about yourself. And that was a big thing. Um uh, to, to begin with and that's one of the things that made me defend them and kind of almost made me suppress those gut feelings that you often get when you meet a cult member you think something doesn't feel right here because they were being so nice yeah um now obviously lots of people generally speaking go through similar experiences but i i sensed that the, the struggles i had prior to, to being involved in a cult group um it was it made me a little bit more vulnerable in that area. Yeah. Um, so the the other the other challenging thing I think as well is I tend to find that I trust people, take people at face value, mm. and 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 see almost you know people with 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 Asperger's Asperger's how, how you want to pronounce that tend to um, be very honest mm. and struggle to understand that other people aren't honest. Now, again, yeah. that doesn't apply yeah. for every artistic person, but it's a common you know, mm. trait. And I, I found that people have said to me, you're actually just so honest, you're too, you're too honest. People don't know how to take you sometimes. And I, and I, as I've reflected on my experience in LinkedIn with the court, I started to wonder, was I projecting that honesty onto other people? And I assumed everybody else was honest mm. and there was no deception. I know you've mentioned deception in one of your recent videos as well. The... the um, not realizing that there were other motives, not realizing that actually this is about getting me involved and then coercing me to become more committed and take a lot of my money mm. um, was a bit of a big thing. So that was another vulnerability uh, I picked up in, on in myself. 
Um, what's, what's quite helpful for me in life is when things are really clear. Um, and I tend to find I have a natural tendency for black and white thinking anyway. I like things to be rigid and clear. I actually get anxious quite a lot if things feel like vague and confusing. Mm. And to protect myself, try and make things really clear. So what I've done is studying a lot of psychology that has helped me understand relationships, understand people, things that are often a bit abstract. Mm. But the problem is, is in court groups, as you quite familiar with i'm sure thing, things are clear you know here's the rules here's what you need to follow here's what you need to do and 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 that actually i sense probably made me more vulnerable as well i remember i, I remember the exact moment being around people and the control started to kick in like you, you you must learn to submit to the leadership was the phrase the common phrase and i remember actually feeling warmth from it and like peace yeah. from the control in the early days, <laughs> until it started costing me something, really costing me something. But I remember feeling, um, it was amazing how much attention I got. I remember feeling, actually, this maybe isn't so bad, this bit of control, because because I feel safe. I feel like I get where I am. So there was a few things, really. Um, and also, I, I, I suspect one of the, one of the challenges in, you know, some of my experiences prior to that is is struggling to stand up for myself, struggling to speak out. Um, I had an assessment um, by an educational psychologist um, when, around the time I got diagnosed with autism, and he said that the processing speed of my brain was quite slow, which means I can't think very quick on my feet. Um, now, as 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 you know, cults want quick decisions. In the moment, they want you, you know. Oh, um, you're backed into the corner, corner, everything's very quick. Someone does something and it takes a long time, it's take for me, it takes a long time to think something wasn't right then. It happened so quick, I just go along with it. Mm. I, I very often will we'll go along with something and not realize what is what is actually happening until much later because I can't think quick enough. Mm. Um so so in day-to-day life, you know, when I was studying, um I Tutors can't ask me questions in lessons because I t- need to take a week thinking about it because <laughs> I can't think very quick on, on my feet at all. And I feel that also may be quite vulnerable because everything happens so quick. People will push boundaries. They'll mm. ask invasive questions. And there was a tendency to, to answer, you know, straight away mm. without thinking, why are they asking me that? Um, but also because, because of the um, low self-esteem and, as a coping mechanism, learning to be quiet, learning to survive as well alongside that submissiveness because of the environment of being in at high school. Mm. Together, those two things, again, may be very vulnerable, I think, mm. to, um, to recruitment. Um, in addition, some positive traits, I think, that come with autism is like, when, when I'm passionate about something, the blinkers go on completely. I can't see anything. Um, in my job, I will work until everything is finely tuned, until it um, is, 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 is very clear, it's all in a structure. And if, <coughs> if I love it, sorry, I've got a bit of a cough. If I love it, I can't see anything outside of that. For example, why are my wages so low? <laughs> For example, um, you know, um, I, I need the money from this job to, to, to live. Um, and and 
not realizing when I'm giving it all back to them because uh, it, it was a it was a ch church cult church that run a charity. I was working for the charity and attending the church, so I was they were paying me. The money was just going back in a, in a loop, <laughs> but I was so focused on what I was doing, I didn't see the the other stuff around the around the side, and I think that may be quite vulnerable. Like, I think they were looking for people who were so passionate and focused to use um, to exploit, uh, basically. And um, and I, I was, you know, kind of taken in, just taken in by it all. And I, well, it, generally speaking, because of that artistic trait, that focus, the, when things click, they really do click and you can't... You, there was times when people have said to me even now, Richard, you have to charge people for what you're doing. You can't do it for free. I know you're really passionate, but you've got to put a value on your time. And and sometimes I can I can be so enthusiastic I won't know I won't you know make that connection. Yeah. So I, I think that that was another trait that kind of made me more susceptible. Mm. Um, and you know, so you've got the kind of it's quite black and white, it's quite comfortable and quite focused. If I get excited about something, you know, um, and don't notice people's motives very well, and I tend to um, kind of. With, with the self-esteem struggles that often come with being artistic, love bombing works. You well worked past it, you know, quite quite well. So um, yeah, I mean, you, that was, the question. Sorry, was specifically about recruitment, wasn't it? You just asked. That was about recruitment. I'm no, I'm fascinated by um, everything you said, um, and I think it it points to you know the, the notion of of a spectrum that that yeah. I can recognise some of what you're saying in myself that that um i too when i become passionate about something i, I become fairly fervent about it and um right. it it excludes or, or diminishes my view of other things um reflecting on what what you say about love bombing i it, it's fascinating because it, it's not something that i responded to in the same way mm. probably because i come from a very securely attached family yeah you know, three brothers you know my mum was a very loving person and I was you know I'd been a very sociable child throughout school I you know so it's interesting to to reflect on the similarities and the differences that so the the love bombing aspect which was certainly there in Scientology right from the start um didn't mean as much to me probably because I was used to being encouraged and receiving compliments from people. And I think in that I was very fortunate mm. because I think I, you know, elsewhere I've talked about encouragement and discouragement in our society and talked about um, a friend, Rachel Bernstein, who um, teaching a class of adults, she said to them, write down a time you were encouraged at school and a time you were discouraged. And I, I don't, it's a few years ago that I talked with her, but I'm not sure that anybody could remember in their 13 years of schooling in the United States being encouraged, yeah. even yeah. once. So I, I think it's a terrible deficit. We're also talking about the ability to assert ourselves. And that's something that, that I learned probably after. You know, I think I was probably normally assertive, which is not enough in my experience. Um, but I've learned... To, to say no when I mean no. And I've learned that I don't have to explain myself to anybody, you know, unless yeah. they've got a gun or a, an arrest warrant. Um, so I can just go, I'm, I'm not interested, you know, so 
the if somebody you know, cold calls me on the telephone, I can just tell them I'm, I'm not interested and they ought to get a proper job, you know, and I hope, or I hope they're able to get a proper job, you know. Um, mm. But that, those are learned things. As you talk about scripts, which is one of the things that fascinates me with you know, what little I know about the autistic spectrum. The idea that if somebody is looking a little bit distressed, you offer them a warm beverage, you know, you, you can learn these things. I have a friend who probably, you know, is quite some way on the spectrum, who, what you say about uh, slow processing, uh, he's one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. He's one of the most educated and informed people I've ever met. But I've had to point out to him that he thinks before he answers questions. You know, I don't do that. I just answer them and regret the consequences later. But yeah. he will say so he's difficult to interview because you ask him something, he has to sort of think about it. And then he'll give you a supremely intelligent response to it. And that through that, I learned that intelligence, whatever that is, is not dependent on how fast people think which is an idea that's built into Scientology. Um, Hubbard talks about the communication lag, you know, yeah. how long it takes you to answer something is how bright you are. And I found that people like me who do answer quickly don't, don't usually get it as right as people like you who take their time to think, think something through. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I think what you, you've hit the mark you said so much in such a short period of time that that, that yeah. I find so fascinating. And what can we what can we do about that? Do you think in in terms of you are seeking to alert the uh, the community to this problem? Yeah. What have you been able to do so far, and what would you like to do? Um, yeah, I mean, just picking up from what you said there, and then going on to the question. What what I found as well is. The, the my ability to answer now is this is on my mind so much I've, I've spent months already thinking about it so what's in I'm normally I wouldn't be able to answer but I think what you're seeing now is my coping mechanisms from going from my brain out of my mouth yeah. uh, understanding it has been how I've, uh, I've survived so um but yeah I mean there's a couple of things really I just one of the things I so so as well as the counseling I do deliver training on this I've done different talks um, so I, I'm a teacher as well so I teach counselling so I've taught some of this to my counselling students and in a, in a college I used to work at and such a big education is such a big big thing and I just find that people just aren't aware that this kind of thing goes on they aren't it seems like some strange out there thing that you know cult groups are totalitarian groups or whatever terminology people want to use it's like it seems rare and, and I just, um, the big thing I think is, is just educating people. Um, so, so you know how to spot when some and listen to your gut and if something doesn't feel right, why doesn't it feel right? And recognizing love bombing and recognizing when people are pushing boundaries too, too quick, you know, very quickly, what do they want from you and how much do they want and how quick do they want it? And, and I think a big part of this is, is education. Um, now, I, now I've been through that and then I studied the masters in, I can spot things really easy because I've learned how to spot it. Um, and, and I think the big thing is education. For me, this it needs to be taught. It's a safeguarding thing. It needs to be taught to to educational uh, organisations, schools, colleges. So 
tutors can pick up on it. So it's in the lessons as well. You know, um, I, I think it really needs to become a normal thing to be, to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, cult, cult recruitment or extremism recruitment, although it is in some areas actually, think, but less so in in groups that aren't as obviously, you know, it's more co- where it's more covert. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think ed- education is a bit, big part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so so far, I've I, I mean, I've run, I've been running my practice since January 2019, so it's a new practice, mm-hmm. if you like. But um, I, I've offered advice and guidance for people ringing up. And I've done some training courses, and of course, the lockdowns made it a bit more difficult. Um, so um, I really try doing what I can outside of my main job because because the cult stuff is like a top up job on top of my teacher job. Yeah. Um, really, just to educate me people. I mean, as well, you know, hoping that they go on to educate more people and they go on to it, you yeah. know, rather than trying to do it on my own as well. So um, that's a big thing as well, as well. I think really in terms of how, how to deal with it. Education is the key, I think, in my opinion. I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and um, the, I think part of it is this notion that there are these strange, exotic, fringe, weirdo groups out there that yeah. are cults. And the reality is, as Margaret Singer pointed out in the title of the book she wrote with Daniel Ehrlich, Cults in Our Midst, that mm. we live in a society, and I've, I use the word cult, I, I seek to use it in its proper sense, which, which is an attachment to a, a, a belief system or, or an individual. It, it, it's not necessarily a negative thing. Sadly, the words become negative and we have to say what kind of cult we made. Yeah. And for me, the, the terminology gets in the way, the words get in the way. We were talking about education, the need for education. And I think the first thing is to say that my concern is not for cult groups. I couldn't care less about cult groups. What I care about is authoritarian behavior. And wherever that appears, wherever there is, you know, this abuse of power where somebody is bullying somebody else. And for me, authoritarianism is that, you know, there are two forms. There's the leader form and the follower form. And leaders are bullies, people who are abusive and push other people around. Every cult leader I've studied and over the years, that's a lot. Cult leaders, mm-hmm. gang leaders, terrorist leaders, hundreds of them I've, I've looked at over the last 40 years since I started looking at this. And they all fit into one of the various antisocial types of personality. They're narcissistic, mm-hmm. malignant narcissists, or uh, people with the Machiavellian disorder, if we can get into that. The many and various definitions of sociopaths and psychopaths. They will have the characteristics that fit there in that they use and abuse other people. And mm. we find that in their in personal relationships. There are kind of small, you know, one person cults where a spouse is subjected to horrible abuse, coercive control. Um, mm. And then there are huge groups like uh, North Korea, for example, where you've got virtually the, most of the population locked into this thinking. I mean, uh, it's been put to me that the same is true of China. I do not believe that. I believe there's a great deal of dissent in China. But in in North Korea, you have an authoritarian regime. I don't think it has to become totalitarian. Uh, It doesn't have to be total authority. I think there's a point where authority is just wrong. And our educational system fails to to teach kids how to recognise the characteristics of what I call human predators. And I think what shocks me the most is 
you can pretty much teach somebody in about 10 minutes how to yeah. recognize this. It isn't complicated. It ain't brain science. Um, though there is brain science involved in it, obviously, if we get yeah. to yeah. But so I, I think rolling out an education, and I've come to a frustration, which is that our educational system is the problem. It's not mm -hmm. part of the problem. It is the problem that mm -hmm. people, are, kids are being trained not to assert themselves, that they're not being allowed to express themselves. It's getting better. It's, yeah. yeah. When I was a kid, you, you could still be flogged for <laughs> saying something they didn't like. You know, I saw a kid being picked up by his ear once off the ground. You know, I've never forgotten that. So that kind of abuse is, and that was a mm. very prestigious school. You know, <laughs> um, That's gone. And the shouting seems to be diminishing in schools a little bit. But understanding that some Swedish teachers came over, and of course, Scandinavia always scores very well on the um, two yearly tests of mm. schools around the world. Um, and that they were very surprised in, at UK schools, these Swedish teachers, because the first thing, there were all these things hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> all these little yeah. mobiles and all of this stuff on the walls. And they were saying, well, if you're on the spectrum, this would be really quite overwhelming. You know, mm -hmm. um, I find it with modern textbooks that they print textbooks in multiple colors. So you've got violet text and pink text and yellow. Te I can't read them. Mm -hmm. You know, give me black and white. I can read that. But I don't. I, some part of me is perhaps trying to interpret what why are they these colors what is there some meaning that i'm missing that green text is meant to tell me so overwhelming the senses isn't is a standard aspect of education here which for yeah. anybody you know as i said that affects me so I, I think it it probably does affect quite a lot of people it will inevitably affect somebody who's on the autistic spectrum um, and the interesting thing, um, so I only did my teach training recently as well, mm. as well as the masters. And um, what's interesting, what the, the way teaching has changed, um, you know, it used to be sit down, the teacher talks, you copy a textbook. And now in a, in a positive way, teaching is more about engaging critical thinking, teaching people how to think, yeah. which I think is positive in terms of um, uh, getting people to question things. Is this right? What, what's wrong with this? What do you think about this? And that, that I think that's been a positive change in terms of teaching, but that's only that's only recently. Um, so so most of my, the way I teach is, is asking questions and getting getting students to critically analyze. What, what do you think about this theory? Do you agree? Do you not agree? Um, but that's only fairly recent, really, in teaching. You know, um, but in terms of um, um, spotting unhealthy relationships mm. that activating critical thinking were you know of course it's transferable isn't it mm. um so so that that's something positive i think going on in education though as well yeah um, and, and it, i mean the, the such like the idea of you know engaging the person rather than filling their head with facts that they can check on google like anybody else now yeah um that's something that uh, matthew lipman uh, have uh, i often where's it gone uh, thinking in education here we are this is a 40 year old book um, and we have of course uh, sir ken robinson's the elements and creative schools where something interesting is happening which is that the psychology that was developed in the 1960s and 70s is finally being used it, you know the paradigm shift in education has taken so long 
And unfortunately, along the way, we've acquired the national curriculum and the kind of neoliberal box ticking of everything being measured. Mm. So that while it's the idea of engaging more with the pupil, getting the pupil to engage with the subject is a different matter altogether. I've got mm. two boys who've one's just he finished his GCSEs, the other has finished his A-levels. And because they both have a sleep disorder, meaning they're not able to go to school, it's meant I've had to be very involved with what they were doing. And I'm horrified by the textbooks in the curriculum. I'm mm. horrified at the errors of information in psychology, sociology, biology, uh, even history um, that, that I'm seeing. And this idea that you're going to cram this information into somebody. I'll give you a specific um, about this. When he was doing GCSEs, my son Sam um, was studying Macbeth. I personally think there should be a restriction so that teenagers are not exposed to suicidal and maniacal work. You know, they shouldn't read Kafka at GCSE and, and they shouldn't read Macbeth, um, even though it does have the most beautiful suicide soliloquy ever delivered tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps forth this petty pace of time. Mm -hmm. I, while he was doing that, read a book called, uh, which was recommended to me by somebody at a comment section on, on a video or something yeah. um, called uh, 1606, uh, a, a year in the life of Shakespeare's Lear. I think it's called something like that. And it was absolutely brilliant, his book, because here we are at 1606. Why is he writing Macbeth? He's got a Scottish king. The king doesn't like plays. He's just imprisoned the other king's players, the children's players, all of them, all the kids, everybody. They're all in prison because he hates plays and he thinks they've been nasty about him. He's published a book called Demonology, in which he you know, asserts his tremendous belief in spirit possession. Mm. Um, so he doesn't like plays. He's likely to put you in prison. Oh, dear. Let's have a Scottish subject because he's Scottish. He believes he's descended from Banquo. And indeed, there's an armorial thing that, you know, that shows you generation by generation what he believed. It's from his time. Um, the only place in all of Shakespeare that killings happen off stage is in Macbeth. And they're both kings of Scotland who are killed. So mm -hmm. there's a certain, we've got to be careful about this. Then we go, remember, remember the 5th of November, gunpowder, treason and plot. That was the November before. That was November the 5th, 1605, the year before the play is written. Um, in the February of 1606, um, there's a rumour throughout England that James has been killed. And this is the environment in which we get hubble, bubble, toil and trouble and all of this stuff. My son lost points in his exam for knowing that because those are not accepted points of information about Macbeth. So the encouragement of engagement is kind of robotically stopped by the marking process. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And I, so I, you know, I'm absolutely with you. We need to get kids to, to engage and explore and be able to assert themselves. Um, I'm hugely interested in the work of Eric Fromm, um, and who was the man who gave us the notion of the malignant narcissist uh, in a book called The Heart of Man in the 60s. Um, and he has this basic idea, which he puts forward in his first book, Escape from Freedom, from 1941. And he says 60% um, of people do not develop a self. Yeah. 
Yeah. And this is, I just stopped. What a brilliant way of looking at this saying, let's forget mental illness. Let's forget about where we are in any spectrum. How grown up are we? Uh, there's a woman called Patricia Crittenden who wrote a book called Raising Parents in which she talks about a therapy that pushes away all diagnostic criteria and just accept for how grown up are you? And she's mm -hmm. dealing with sexual abusers, um, incestuous um, child molesters and distinguishing them from um, other forms of abuser in saying that what she has found is that they simply haven't grown up. They don't understand that what they're doing is not a loving thing at all. It, it's an abusive mm -hmm. thing that they're doing. And that by helping them to mature, you can bring them to a point where they realize that this is not something they should be doing and they mm -hmm. stop doing it. Um, mm -hmm. But that idea of maturity is very important. And yeah. I think that our educational system is actually maintaining children um, at a low level of maturity. It reminds me of, you know, things I've reflected on a lot in terms of, you know, how important it is to, to you know, know who you are and, mm. and develop your own identity that isn't being pushed upon you. And, I, you know, when I, I, when, when I was kind of recovering from my experience and, and also the way I support my clients, a lot of it is building up, building up that, what do you want? What do you believe? What do you understand? You know, who, who are you? And building that up almost as well. It, what you said kind of reminds me a little bit of that. But yeah. I think as well, part of my recovery from my experience was actually going back and asking who I am, you know, and, and learning to listen to the inner me because for, for so long it had been, you know, pushed down and, um you just kind of reminded me of that really big 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 part of me recovering was was asking that question because even before the experience i don't think he even really knew mm. um, and knew how to trust my own thoughts and think what do i think about this really and um, kind of trust what i think um and it's a bit massive been massive that because mm. i i think that um because i because i grow grew up in a religious environment as well before the, the cult-like mm. experience um, I, I'd almost learned to not really trust my own thoughts and feelings and, and value them in, in the same way. So what you're saying does remind me of that a little bit in, in terms of who, why, who is the real, what's my real self, you know, um, the organismic self, Rogers would have said, yeah, yeah. Well, who, what, what is that? How do I listen to that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you, we, you said before that, that, what tends to happen and what, what makes an authoritarian group authoritarian is that the enemy is within you. You are your own enemy and the group is going to help you and they're going to make you who they want you to be. They're yeah. not going to make you who you want to be. In, in Scientology, you have this, this conflict where it's meant to be about achieving self-determinism, complete and absolute self-determinism. Mm. The only time that you can actually achieve that is by doing exactly what Ron Hubbard says. Yeah. It, you know, I didn't notice that in my nine years of membership. And when it dawned on me, I felt a little embarrassed that there was such, this ob such an obvious situation. Yeah. It fits into education be because the, the teachers we, we loved, if there, were, if there were any teachers that we loved, were the ones who did encourage us to, to feel and think and, and be who we are. And something that's very important to me, and I've, I've written 
I've written about it in various places, but I wrote a novel called Voodoo Child's Slight Return, in which I brought Jimi Hendrix back to life because that's what it, you know, that felt like a good idea at the time. Yeah. But the core of the novel is the idea that everybody has their own genius, not their own talent, their own genius. Everybody can excel at something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an experience I've had with people with Down syndrome, with, with anybody and everybody, that there's some perception of the world that anybody I meet will have that can inform and educate me. It doesn't matter what, how much I know, a yes, five-year-old yeah. child can point my attention at something that I hadn't realized. And having that sense about human beings, believing that, that human life is absolutely precious and wonderful. Mm -hmm. And you know, again, Eric Fromm has this simple that people are either life-denying or life-affirming. And he explains that you can be life-denying in some ways and life-affirming in other ways. And Sometimes it's, you know, when it comes to mosquitoes, it's good to be life-denying as far as I'm concerned. You know, they don't deserve to live. Um, but just thinking of things in those terms of, of what is affirming to our own lives, to, to me as an individual, who am I? And where I, you know, as a kid, I believed that I could achieve enlightenment, which is one of the things that made me vulnerable to Scientology, the Buddhist mm -hmm. idea of enlightenment. I no longer believe that. I, I couldn't care less about that. All I care about is being me now, you know, and you know, doing doing what I can to help other people. Because selfishly, absolutely selfishly, I realise that helping other people is what makes me feel happy. So yeah. I don't do it for the other people. I couldn't care less about things. <laughs> One of the things I, I really love about. Um, counseling people who've been in cult-like controlling groups or controlling situations is when they start thinking about what they want and they start dreaming and they start saying, I'm going to do this and I've never been able to do this before. And it's so it's so exciting to see that to emerge in the, in the therapy, you know, that, that when they start realising that they can start thinking about who they want to be and where they want to go or where they want to travel to and all that, it's one of the best things. Yeah. seeing someone grow and come from that where they were so controlled where they weren't able to develop that individuality and watching it happen and as that it dawns on them that they can get excited about themselves is is great great experience um yeah yeah i couldn't agree more and and watching people come away from that awful thing where you know you go to the restaurant with them and and they say what do you think i should have you know that kind of somebody can have submitted so much into a group and, and that's very often the case. Um, okay. Um, I think maybe we've covered some ground and maybe leave it there, but, but I would like to come back and talk again. Um, yeah. And, you know, what I'm seeing all around the world at the moment is, is a heightened, um, perception that that there is something going wrong that our society has become polarized in the u.s it's come to a head with QAnon and trump yeah um and so my good friend steve hassan is suddenly getting an incredible barrage of media you know he published a book what two years ago about the cult of trump yeah, yeah. and he's ignored by the media it's an excellent book um uh, um now 
with Colt, you know, now that now that the witch is gone and it's safe, he's he's getting all of this media. And the question is yeah. being asked. Uh, in fact, a Republican at the be beginning of these impeachment hearings of Trump put forward the idea that it was ridiculous that they were suggesting that that Republicans should be taken away and deprogrammed. And, uh, you know, I don't like the, the concept of deprogramming. I don't think people are programmed. I think we're a lot more subtle than that. Oh, yeah. Putting aside the word, I absolutely believe the whole society needs to be deprogrammed. The whole society needs to be yeah. brought to a place where we do think more critically, where we are aware of the, the power that certainty holds over us. That, that we become sure and absolutely convinced of things that we don't have evidence for, you know, uh, which we, we are seeing so much of, you know, with the COVID-19 people who are, you know, this guy who sat up in bed and the last thing he said before dying of COVID-19 was, there's no such thing as COVID-19, you know, and it's very hard to argue with, with that kind of, and that comes from a lack of education and that comes from having an educational system that is not focused upon the development of the individual, but is focused upon the control of the society over the individual and mm -hmm. the erroneous belief that it is necessary to control people all the time. You know, that mm. I think socially we can, we can do rather better than that and should. Yeah, and, it, and the attempts to control it, to make things better, it actually makes things worse <laughs> because people then don't know who they are struggle to express themselves, mental health starts deteriorating because they're repressing themselves. Some, speaking very generally, yeah? yeah. Repress themselves and their, their feelings and, and it actually doesn't help, yeah. No, and, it, and it's a contagion that, that you know, we, we live in a society, I can't remember one of the Himalayan countries, it may be Nepal, has declared that they, they're no longer interested in gross national product. It was some years ago they did this. They're interested in gross national happiness. And so they issue surveys to see how people feel about things. And having watched the growth economy all these years going, but but this is destroying the environment. What do you mean growth economy? This may, you know, um, yeah. talking of, of Asperger's, um, we, we have uh, Greta Thunberg and this... Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm about halfway through watching I Am Greta and I, I'm just amazed that she is so incredibly intelligent. She has that wonderful autistic gift of information that she can store huge amounts of information and correlate it. But the thought that she as a small child start, stopped eating because at five years old or whatever, she could see how stupid it was what the adults were doing and mm. i think there's a clarity of perception that can sometimes come with autism yeah. that seems to be completely lost on other people you're going but this is rather obvious isn't it you know yeah and interestingly almost going full circle back to the start of our conversation that's why i didn't last very long in my cult because i saw this isn't right and and my experience the it only the worst part of it only lasted six to eight months because I couldn't, because because of, of the injustice sense. Yeah. So that's part of how I ended up getting out because I couldn't obey them. I couldn't obey the leadership because it because it was an injustice, and that's actually how I ended up. I, I, you know, it made me quite ill trying to mentally battle against that. But that that fixation on justice that this isn't right that I have 
probably influenced by being autistic. It's part of how I got out as well, mm-hmm. uh, because I couldn't, I couldn't accept what the leadership was saying as being just. Um, and I couldn't accept the control. The, you know, when the when the, the dial was turned up on the control, which is what happened, became more controlling. I pushed back, and and in some ways, I suppose that's why autism might actually protect people for staying in too long, and maybe a more positive thing as well. So that's kind of come full circle, I suppose, a bit there. Um, yeah. It helped me help me get out <laughs> as well. And so. it, it's how I left Scientology. It was a sense of injustice. It's simply yeah. that that. There were rules and the rules weren't being followed. And when I complained that the rules weren't being followed, I didn't get an answer. And, you know, I actually spent six months writing, you know, going up lines, as they say in Scientology. So you're going higher up the hierarchy until eventually you at the time Ron Hubbard was still alive and there was this farce that you could write letters to him. And there was a whole unit, you know, that answered the letters to Ron. And I found myself here because the last recourse in Scientology was Hubbard. What had happened was a good friend of mine had been um, declared suppressive and I'd been told I couldn't communicate with him. And Mm. I said, nobody tells me who I communicate with. You know, that's up to me, Um, which was not well liked. And I then went to the justice chief, the international justice chief, all of these people. And I eventually found myself writing a letter to Ron Hubbard saying, I know that you do not receive these letters but this is the last recourse. And the response was, your letter is on my desk. Of course I receive my letters. As to the problem of my friend having been thrown into the outer darkness, that was another matter. And I left because, as you say, maybe that straightforward idea of what is fair and is not fair is something that that you and I share. And and it, it saved us because yeah. you're not willing to experience that injustice yeah yeah it's it, it's almost like the, the rules the rules are they're good but they're also when they're broken can't cope with can't cope with it so yeah yeah even yeah. when the rules are, are bad rules you know that that this is the rule and this is the way you've got to do it you know this is we've accepted these these rules and as we both know in abusive relationships while there will be micro rules, there'll be all sorts of rules. You'll never actually be able to fulfil them. You'll never actually no. be able to do it. But it keeps you keeps. It gives us something to keep obsessing about, to keep trying to do, until the point where we realise that that the demands upon us are absolutely impossible, and that nobody can meet them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, this has been a tremendous pleasure, and uh, we'll talk again, hopefully, in a few weeks' time, and. Uh, uh, get some you know think more about what what you know prepare yourself to what you'd like to talk about because uh, i've been quite fascinated by everything you said today it's making me think you know thank you so i'm john atak and this is my friend my new friend richard turner (laughs) and uh, thank you very much for watching thank you hi john here thanks for watching We'd appreciate it very much if you would click like, as well as subscribe, and click the bell for notifications. Every dollar helps, and we welcome new patrons on Patreon. Or you can make a one-off payment with any currency through PayPal. Thanks so much.